Hi, Paul Scanlon here. Thanks for taking the time to click on my podcast. I want to spend time focusing on my primary passions of leadership, personal development, communication, growing big people, and I hope that these podcasts really help and add value to your life and to your journey. Thanks for tuning in. Last week I began speaking to you about the ability God has given you and me and everyone to solve problems. And the the unique way that God helps you find that is that when God wants to give you a gift in your life, whatever that may be, of growth, of development, of new thinking, of new opportunities, when God wants to develop people, he, He gift wraps the gift in a wrapping paper called problems. And the bigger the gift, the bigger the wrapping. The bigger the promise, the bigger the problem. And I tried to begin to show you last week that the whole purpose of Genesis 1 really is demonstrated to us that God is a problem-solving God. That He steps into the chaos and the void and the mess that the world and the creation was in. And then God began to speak order. And the order that He brought every day was, was reducing chaos and increasing order. Every day God did another thing and added another element and another layer of order and light and problem solving to creation. He did that for six days. God stopped doing it after six days, not because the problems were solved, but because on the sixth day, God stopped, knowing that on the seventh day, man would be created, man would wake up in what God had created to that point, and on the seventh day, God said, tag you it to man. And so God, for six days, began to eliminate chaos and create order, and then God stopped after six days. And ever since then, God has said to people, I'm not doing this anymore. It's up to you to do it now. And the idea for Adam and Eve is that they would continue to eliminate chaos and to solve problems and to fill the world with a problem-solving solution-mindedness that God gave them. Of course, Adam and Eve didn't do that brilliantly, didn't do that well, as we know the story. But the DNA in every human being is to continue to do what God did for six days. It is, your, it is your DNA, not just as a believer. As a believer, we wake up to it. But even many non-believers around the world are, are walking in this far better than the church are. Many groups and organizations are walking in this far better than we, the church, are. It's as if we have to be reminded and we have to be cajoled and we have to be invited and inspired to do what really, when we became believers... We should have exploded with an awakening realization that we, above all on the planet, are gifted and we are mandated. That's the difference. We are mandated to become walking solution and walking removers of chaos and bringers of order to to a world that God stopped doing that to after six days and said, now it's up to you. And every one of us are gifted amazingly all our children that's why it's great to step back and let your kids work stuff out because the ability to solve problems is what will enable you to prosper and have dominion and success and whatever life throws at you in the coming years many of us that were sheltered and were never allowed to solve problems that everything solved for us those that still avoid solving problems and still look to others to give you answers You are never developing your innate, God-given skill to be an amazing problem-solving piece of kit 
that you are for your own life and towards other people's lives. And I want to read to you from the New Testament in John 6, Message Bible, just a little insight to how Jesus began to train these disciples and to bring out of them their problem-solving ability that they didn't know they had. John 6, verse 5, it's the episode of the feeding of the 5,000. It says, when Jesus looked out and saw that a large crowd had arrived, he said to Philip, where can we buy bread to feed these people? He said this to test Philip or to stretch Philip's faith because he already had in mind what he was going to do. How weird and interesting and frustrating. Philip answered, 200 silver pieces would not be enough money to buy bread for each person to get a piece. We'll stop there just for a moment to analyze and get behind the scenes of what's going on in Jesus' mind. If Jesus already knew what he was going to do about the problem of 5,000 people, and that we know in other, in other gospels was only the men. So there could have been seven, eight, nine thousand when you add women and children in. But the problem of thousands of people that were hungry and far from their homes, and that, you know, you can't nip to Tesco's, they weren't built yet, to get supplies for these people. So it is a dilemma. Granted, it is not Jesus' problem. He's not responsible to feed these people physically. But Jesus decides to make it his problem. I think when we start to make things our problem because we feel a responsibility to our community and to our world, it is a different dimension that your life kicks into when you don't just solve what you have to, but when you begin to take on problems that you could avoid. You could walk along the other side of the road like the story of the Good Samaritan and not get involved, but when you decide to cross over and get involved like we did and we are with the homeless weekly, you decide that is my problem, that is not their problem. That is not the city's problem. That is not the government's problem. That is going to be our problem. But if no one says that's my problem, then it rests with the people who are in the problem to whom no one else brings a solution. And sometimes you're not the best person to solve your own problem. You need the perspective of others that come with a solution-mindedness towards your world. Sometimes you can't see the wood for the trees. So clearly Jesus has stepped back and he's watching this crowd and he's had enough time, whatever time that took him, to think about it and think, okay, I am going to feed these people today. I know what I'm going to do. I've got an idea. Question, if God knows what he's going to do, if Jesus knows what he's going to do, why didn't he just do it? Why seemingly play this game of pretending you don't know what you're going to do and asking for advice? Well, it's no different to what you do with your kids. Sometimes you'll ask your children when they're young, well, what are we going to do? Now, you know what to do, and you know you have to know what to do, because if they don't come up with a solution, it's going to get worse, or they're going to be late for school, or whatever the crisis is that you're trying to avert, or, you know, the bath will overrun, or somebody's going to get an eye poked out. But you step back to allow them to come up with their own idea of what could be done. So... As a human parent, it's no different to God who put that DNA in every parent too, that you love your kids to problem solve. It's, it's funny when you 
first watch a child eat by themselves. Because it's an absolute wreck. It's a train wreck. It's a mess and there's food everywhere other than where it should be. And the couple of spoons that go in the right hole are so exciting. And you know that if you'd have fed the child, it would have all gone in the right hole. But there comes a time when you get tired of playing aeroplanes. That's what we used to do. I don't know what you do now. It's probably some video game now that you use. Some, you probably feed them through virtual feeders. I don't know what we do today. But. And it would have been tidier. It would have been quicker. It would have been less stressful. There wouldn't have been a much mess to clear up. I know when Mark and Beth feed Jonah, they put like a plastic sheet on the ground. Knowing this food is not going to stay on the high seat table. It's going to fly. Because I don't know why. Who taught kids to throw food? It's like an innate thing, isn't it, in kids? And watch Johnny see something you're like, hmm. Till he gets something that he likes, like a banana. That's a keeper. Crisp. And it just flies. And you long for the day when the child understands that when we sit to eat, the idea is we eat. And God is like that with us. He will stand back and watch us. And he'll put a plastic sheet down and he'll watch us flounder around and muddle through and hoping that out of it will come an idea that will have a heart. I go hungry when I fling the food. I need to put more in there and less on the floor. <laughs> I'm onto it. And eventually the child puts more in the mouth and less on the floor. And then eventually none's on the floor and all's in the mouth. And they want more. And now they want what you've got left on your plate. And now you have to control it the other way. So... So Jesus knows exactly what he's going to do and he's saying nothing. And he turns to Philip and says, Philip, any ideas? Where do you think, Philip, you, where do you think we could buy bread? I mean, what a question to ask when you're looking at 8,000 people and we're in the middle of nowhere. And I mean, now we might say, well, you know, we, we can go online to Asda, the Tesco deliver to fields, I think, in the middle of nowhere. Um, I don't know, we'll, we'll go, back to the, go back to ALC and, go and, and raid the, the, the food store and nothing. So, so I don't know what equivalent of those ideas they had, if any. So Philip comes up with a, a reasonable answer. He said, well, hmm, I've thought about it, now you've asked me, but you know what, realistically, let me help you, Jesus. Let me, let me help you be sensible about this. Hey, I've been thinking, you know, and I've done in my mind a calculation since you asked me that question. You know, half a year's wages, which they reckon 200 pieces of silver's were, but it wouldn't be enough to buy bread for everyone, even to get a piece individually. You know, God never asks you a question because he doesn't know the answer himself. Don't flatter yourself. He's honestly not, he's not, he's honestly not looking for your enlightenment. God's not like in a puzzle, like, until you tell me the answer, I'm totally stuck. So hurry up. Hmm. The first question God ever asked was, Adam, where are you? Because he couldn't find him. 
Adam, where are you? Hide and seek is over. I can't find you. Where are you? <laughs> He's wondering if Adam knows where he is. It could have been rephrased. Adam, do you know where you are? Because with God and with life, the problem isn't the problem. The problem isn't the real problem. It's the way you see the problem is the problem. So the problem of 5,000 and no bread isn't the problem. The problem that God's more interested in is how we see the problem. So Jesus creates a problem and then he probes for how solution-minded the disciples are. And he asks Philip and then he asks Andrew. Andrew then chips in after Philip. These two individuals, Philip and Andrew, represent two different kinds of people in life, in church life, in teams, in all kinds of organizations. You'll meet these two people all the time. I want to ask you today, which one are you? Because Philips are not solution-minded people. What happens is when you're not solution-minded... You don't listen to the question that you're asked to fix the problem. As the question's being asked, if you're not a solution leaning, let's fix it. Here's how. I've got an idea. There must be a way. Kind of. If you're not wired that way, when you're asked for a solution, you don't listen to the question. You're listening to your inner non-problem solving flaw. And you answer from that and completely don't even hear the question or the tone or the intonation in the question. Note, the question was where, where can we buy bread to feed these people? Where can we find bread to feed these people? And the answer was, we don't have anywhere enough money to feed these people. Jesus never mentioned money. He never mentioned cost or feasibility. He didn't say how shall we feed these people. He said where. In other words, the solution, the clue to the solution is in the question. Where means we're going to do this. How means how will we do this. But where is a clue as to which way the mind of God's leaning in this or the person that's asking you the question. Where, it's not if or how or could we, it's where do we get the bread to feed them? And he answers from his non-solution mindedness with this feasibility kind of hat on. And cost and money and can we afford just was not anywhere implicit in Jesus' question. He asked where and Philip heard because of his own wiring, he heard how. But the question was where, but he heard how? Remember that belief system thing. If God says to you where, and your belief system is always about how, 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 how. If there isn't a how, then there is no where and when, because I don't know how, I don't know how. I just don't know how we could do this. I don't know how that's possible. If that's your fundamental solution flaw, then you will not fix things that are fixable because you live in this how, and God's saying where. If I ask you how your mother is, you wouldn't start talking to me about your sister, would you? That's what Philip did. Jesus says where, and he starts talking about how. 
Many people never resolve problems because they have a fundamental flaw in the solution software system. Philip was an affordability cost issue kind of person. I don't mean Philip was tight or stingy. Let me just say that to balance this out so that you are maybe more thoughtful about are you a Philip or not? Because you think, well, I'm not a cost sort of penny pinching person. I don't think Philip was. I don't think this is teaching us that Philip was a a penny pincher. I think it's just that Philip and some people weigh everything by affordability. Can we afford to do this? And people that weigh everything by cost and affordability and feasibility, they have a voice, but it should never be a leading voice in what we do. Because to be honest, we've never been able to afford to do anything we've done the last 10 years. And I think affordability has always been a voice in our council, but we've never allowed it to be a leading voice in our decision making. And I believe in wisdom and budgeting and all the rest of it and not doing what clearly is crazy to attempt to do and all the rest of it. But again, I'd say many things, probably most things we've done the last 10 years have been crazy to attempt. I would think in the eyes of the Phillips amongst us, and the Phillips that look at us and view everything from, does it add up on paper? Jesus knew nobody can afford to keep feeding the 5,000. That's why he didn't ask, can we afford it? Because after you've fed them, they're hungry again and they'll be back tomorrow. So no church can keep feeding the 5,000. Affordability, we can't keep affording, we can't keep affording to reach this city. Because Jesus said, the poor you'll always have with you. So you can never answer our response. Our solution to the poor is never going to be affordability. They're going to be there for our lifetime and for the next generation to come. So you have to figure our responsibility to the poor into the DNA of everything we do. We cannot answer it based on affordability. No more than we can look at Africa with all the billions of pounds that have gone into it. And still we see people starving. We'll never fix the poor by affordability conference and discussions. And as Stephen Kay go to Watoto, Watoto will tell you, Madeline and Gary will tell you, we, we're so blessed with everything we have, but we need more. We need more. Why? Because there's more orphans, there's more child soldiers, there's more kids with AIDS, there's more mothers with AIDS, there's more sickness, there's more poverty, there's more starvation. So affordability cannot be our answer and our solution-mindedness towards the world's problems. Some people's solution problem-solving flaw is who? Some's is timing. Well, is the timing right? I, I'm not sure that the timing's right. I think it's an inconvenient time. I think people are too busy or too tired or I think we've got too much going on. Some people's counsel for when you say, what shall we do? Where shall we, where shall we get the resources for this problem? They answer from timing. And, and I have people around me that have different voices of counsel. And, but I, I notice sometimes... I know when I ask you, you're always going to answer from that perspective of how you're wired. Doesn't mean you don't have a voice, but it means that, and it may mean I'm insensitive or you are to timing or to approval. Some people's solution software programming flaw or weakness is approval. Who's on board? Will it be okay with so-and-so? Um, what do such and such a people think? How will such and such a group react if we go ahead with this? And some people are just concerned about everybody being on board with the idea 
and want the approval of the majority before we go ahead with some people's software solution programming flaw. It's supernatural. It's what has God said. And I've had that over the years. Well, well, what's the Lord saying? And I hate that because usually the Lord's saying nothing. In the way that they think the Lord would be saying something. Has anybody had the angels river dancing on the duvet about it? Has anybody had a burning bush moment? Has anybody heard the voice of God? Has anybody heard, has anybody had something that sounds like God? Meaning, these ordinary thoughts can't be God. Has anybody had an epiphanal moment around here? Because this is a big thing. And when you look like a bit, you know, nonplussed and, hmm, no, none of us have had that. Then those for whom that is essential to go forward on get off the bus. And I've been through years of my life where we were completely guided by, we had a, a prophecy or we had a word from God and, to be honest, things still didn't work out any better than they did with common sense. The only difference was when it didn't work out, we could blame God. <laughs> instead of our own thinking. And you know, we've talked a lot in the church about guidance and about how we understand that in scripture and our take on that kind of thing. But some people still, this is widespread, still some people are very troubled by, you know, has God said it? We had a word from God meaning that looks like a certain thing that we're not mentioning yet. That can be a real problem in your fixing of things. Because you can be waiting for a word from God and God's saying, use your brains. Your brains is the word from God. The wisdom I've given you, the, the accumulated problem-solving skills you've got till this age in life, that is, that is all you need for the next thing. Just keep doing what you did. Keep using the wisdom you've used I'm telling you, it will get you to the end. It will get you through. It may not be as finessed and it may not be as stylish and it may not be as clear as those that say, God told me. But it doesn't matter. Don't sell out for that. Don't wait till you get there because it may never come. And all Jesus said, all the word from God was, if you like, to these guys was, where shall we get enough bread? That was it. And up comes Philip. With this affordability thing. Some people it's balance. Their software solution programming. Weakness is balance. And God asks you a question. Or someone suggests an idea. And then it's balance. And how can we balance this? And how can we keep this just right? And, and that can take weeks and months of delay. While we all work through everybody's solution approach weaknesses. Like Philip had. When the question wasn't shall we? Or should we? Or can we? The issue was, we are going to. We are going to do this. We are going to help these people. We're going to build this building, launch this ministry, make that album, go on television, um, produce literature, publish books, have conferences, start a new idea, establish a foundation. It wasn't, it wasn't can we or should we, but it was a question of how will we all do this? Where can we begin this? And if you have people around you that every time you have a problem and you ask them for their help, they are the Phillips of your life that always slow you down, make it even more of a problem than it was, and advise you out of doing anything, then you've got to rethink who is around you. John 6 verse 5, it's the episode of the feeding of the 5,000. It says, when Jesus looked out and saw that a large crowd had arrived, he said to Philip, where can we buy bread to feed these people? 
He said this to test Philip or to stretch Philip's faith because he already had in mind what he was going to do. How weird and interesting and frustrating. Because with God and with life, the problem isn't the problem. The problem isn't the real problem. It's the way you see the problem is the problem. So the problem of 5,000 and no bread isn't the problem. The problem that God's more interested in is how we see the problem. So Jesus creates a problem and then he probes for how solution-minded the disciples are. And all Jesus said, all the word from God was, if you like, to these guys was, where shall we get enough bread? That was it. And up comes Philip with this affordability thing. Some people, it's balance. their software solution programming. Weaknesses, balance. And God asks you a question or someone suggests an idea. And then it's balance. And how can we balance this? And how can we keep this just right? And, and that can take weeks and months of delay while we all work through everybody's solution approach weaknesses like Philip had. When the question wasn't shall we or should we or can we, the issue was we are going to. We are going to do this. We are going to help these people. We're going to build this building, launch this ministry, make that album, go on television, um, produce literature, publish books, have conferences, start a new idea, establish a foundation. It wasn't, it wasn't can we or should we, but it was a question of how will we all do this? Where can we begin this? And if you have people around you that every time you have a problem and you ask them for their help, they are the Phillips of your life that always slow you down, make it even more of a problem than it was, and advise you out of doing anything, then you've got to rethink who is around you. Because then there's Andrew in verse 9. Andrew says, there's a little boy here who's got five barley loaves and two fish. But that's a drop in the bucket for a crowd this size. That's what Philip, that's what Andrew said. Andrews are different to Philip's. Andrews are glass half full people. They're admitting that I don't have the full answer, and this maybe is not the best suggestion, but hey, there's five loaves and two fish. I know there's thousands of people, you know, so don't laugh at me. And it's hard to be an Andrew around Philip's. It's hard to suggest that that could be an answer when Philip has had a brilliant feasibility study going on. And he's got graphs and charts of how we can't afford to do this in the time we have to do it. And, and, and you can't argue with the facts. So to be an Andrew that says, I, I hear Philip and I envy Philip's brains. He's brilliant with accounts. I'm intimidated to even say what I'm about to say. But I have noticed... And don't you think that Philip had noticed the boy's lunch? I think Philip had noticed the boy's lunch. It's not that it was hidden. I think Philip had noticed it and just didn't even recognize it was anything to do with Jesus' question and just went into his feasibility thing. You know, six months' wages wouldn't be enough. I've worked it out, got my calculator out, did my thing. I, you know, forget it. Nice idea, Jesus, but forget it. Good heart. Don't get me wrong. Good heart. You know, God loves a trier. But, you know, forget it. As if Jesus would go, brilliant, Philip. I love that about you. 
You always bring me back to earth. You always bring me back to balance. You, brilliant. I love your count, your count, your accountant head. And Andrew's like little kid here, five loaves, two fish, thousands of people. Sounds wild, sounds weird, but I've seen you do weirder stuff, Jesus. I'm just suggesting. I don't know. Glass half full, solution, possibility-minded people. Andrews realize it's a long shot, but they mention it anyway. Get some of those people around you. Just, just for the heck of it. If nothing else, to wind up the Phillips in your life. If nothing else, to let Phillips know your rule is over. Andrews are going to be in town this year. We're going to get some Andrews thinking into our world. And I know to Philip, it's like, why are you wasting your time listening to these people? They are so immature. They are so out there. But Andrews, a glass half full, can't keep him down. Andrews understands something very interesting. Andrew type people understand if we keep focusing on what we have or don't have in the case of this miracle here, then we focus on our present negative reality all the time. Now, nobody's pretending it's not a negative situation. It's not a big problem. It's not a small thing that you're asking Jesus. Nobody's pretending that. But Andrews realized if, if we now make that worse than it is by saying, well, thanks for the problem, but we cannot possibly fix this situation, then we will never come up with a solution. So Andrews realized that we can't keep focusing our present negative reality, or in other words, in terms of a time-space word, we can't keep focusing on our now. On our now. Because now, everybody say now. Now, now is constantly changing. Scientists have measured now. I did a study on this a while back and didn't know where or if it was necessary or useful to anybody else but my tiny mind, but I was intrigued by it. Scientists have measured now. And guess what scientists say about now? It's not weeks. It's not days hours, or even minutes. Scientists estimate that now lasts about five seconds. That every five seconds is a brand new, never before being now. So I'll count to five. One, two, three, four, five. We're into a new now. This now that we're in now, and it'll be gone soon, so I've got to talk fast. <laughs> this now that we're in now has no history. It has no baggage. It has no future. It's now. It's this. It's pristine. It's like snow that's never been walked on. It's now. It's no, it doesn't know nothing of there or knows nothing of there. It's here. It's now. Because we live most of our life in the past or the future. Most human beings live usually looking back or worrying about what hasn't happened yet. But we don't live in the now. We don't, we don't have a clue what now is. And Andrews understand if we keep looking on what we don't have, our 
Our present now, which is there's thousands of people and we've got no food, that now, how long does that now last? It lasts as long as you let it last until somebody has an idea that changes that now to a new now, which is a thought. And that thought was seconds long. And the thought was, here's a boy's lunch. It's not enough maybe, but hey, here's an idea. Can we change the present state of now? Can we get a new now on the screens of our minds and possibly solve the situation? Because this present negative reality is true, but is that what defines us forever? Every five seconds is a new now. But because we hang on to our nows and make them last weeks and months and years, we can't conceive of what I just said. <laughs> we get 12 new nows every minute. We get 720 new nows every hour. We get 17,280 new nows every day. If now is five seconds. If five seconds is too short for your now, how long do you want it to be? You choose. Ten years? Ten days? Twenty years? How long do you want your now to be? Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet. Or your word is a now to my life. Sometimes, sometimes the word of God to your life and sometimes all you know that to do is just as you've got no more than five seconds. It's like a lamp to your feet. You walk in the now that you have. It's like driving in your headlights. You can drive across the world in your headlights and never know where you're heading, but you can drive in the now with the immediacy of the headlights and every few seconds that now is changing as your lights are lighting something else and, and you haven't got much vision and you haven't got much light and you don't really know what's behind you or ahead of you, but you've got the headlights, that's your now. And you drive in the now that you have. I called this week the pastor in Christchurch, Pastor Leo, and uh, you know you do these long distance calls and there's a delay. So I'm talking to him and by the time he's answering, I'm talking about something else. There's a delay in the... Sometimes you see these satellite links on TV or news programs or whatever it may be, and, and the person is not hearing it. So by the time they're answering, the question has moved on to another question. It just gets a mess. How are you? <laughs> hey, bumped into so-and-so at the airport. Bumped into Kevin at the airport. I'm fine. What? He was on his way to Australia. Been up with the kids all night. Oh no, they're still not well. Where was Kevin going? No, they're still not 100% yet. Australia. What? On it goes. Because you're both constantly in two different nows. That delay puts you in two different nows. You're constantly in the future or the past on each other, depending who's initiating the conversation. And it's just like that with God. And let me just say this to help some of you, and I don't want to minimize anything. Anybody has gone through, is going through, or be shallow about that. But 
I believe God understands this deeply and is deeply committed to this. There is, there is no delay with God's love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. There's no, there is no delay. There's no five seconds. And I know we can't cope with that. So when you keep talking to God about something he's forgiven, it's like being on a delay conversation with someone around the world. And, and the problem is we think God doesn't listen to us. And it's not that God's not listening. It's that God's changed the subject way back. So when you keep talking to God about something that he's like dealt with, he's like, what the heck are you talking about? And when you drag your now out for years and God's in five seconds worth, we accumulate this, this huge miscommunication with God. Not just of one short conversation, but of years of layers of things that God's like, and it gets, we get so off in our conversation with God that we just feel like we're talking a foreign language with God because we're so dragging out that now and God's like, what is this? And God's for years and months been trying to talk to you about new things and new ideas and, and all that stuff he's wanted to start landing in your world and unpacking through your life and we're still frozen in a, a former now and that's why many people give up on God and give up on the church. Because if you're listening to me now, in this new now, from an ancient now, you'll think I don't understand you, God's not speaking to you, there's no word of God in this church, there's no relevance for where you're at in your life. But if you're frozen in your life in an old now, and God's like on, on thousands and millions of nows on from there, you'll increasingly feel that the church is out of touch with you. What is the truth is it's the reverse. That you're increasingly out of touch with a God that does not keep accounts against you. Love keeps no record of wrong. And when we live in that old now, I think we get, we get this massive lag, this massive delay. So when we come to problem solving like Jesus with these guys, I think if we'd have stayed with Philip in the feasibility question, the crowd would never have been fed. It would never have been a miracle. And it would have, been, would have been an ongoing debate for years as to whether or not something better could have happened. But Andrews move the debate on. Andrews introduce a new now with a new thought. Is it possible this boy's lunch could make a difference to this scenario? That's all Andrews have to do. They don't need to know what Jesus is contemplating. And I'd, we have no indication that Andrew knew what Jesus was thinking, but Jesus took that suggestion and said, brilliant idea, I'm going to take the boy's lunch and I'm going to use that to feed the, the multitudes. Now, I, I don't think Andrew knew what was coming next, but the, clearly he was in the right area. He was in the neighborhood of where Jesus was thinking. And you don't need to know whether your suggestion is going to finish up being the one God chooses or whether your suggestion is going to be the one that solves the problem. You just need to get good at making the suggestions. Because if you will train yourself to be an Andrew and not a Philip, I promise you, your problem-solving ability will go to a new level in 2011 and on into your future. I tell you, people pay a lot of money for Andrews in their businesses. Especially now in this economic crisis and this political governance crisis across the northern African countries. People are looking for Andrews. And all around the world, surviving, ongoing, constant dominion, 
get up and keep going companies and businesses and governments and organizations. At the heart of these settings are Andrews, not predominantly Phillips. And I think we've prided ourselves on being the accountants and God's saying, no, that, that is going to freeze you in your constant present negative now. And maybe this week, just, just do that just to yourself. Just sit there, stand there, lay there, and just count to five. And just say, new now. It's a new now. This is a new now. And if five's too short, I'm asking you again, how long do you want your now to be? Because for some of you, it's been now a long time. And God's so moved on. And if you can train your heart and train your mind, and I'm not saying this is easy, but I, I have this feeling that, that sometimes when we relate with God, sometimes when you're just alone with God, I have this feeling in my life over, over years now, different m points in your life. You know, in my youth, I was very sin conscious and very kind of, you know, give yourself a hard time because, you know, that whole thing of works. If you don't crawl on broken glass, then, you know, and, and I just, I think we inherit that sometimes from our backgrounds. Very Catholic. Now you can get a, now you, can get a you know, confess your sins online app. So you can do it on the hoof. But what that app will do is it will keep you sin conscious. How about, uh, how about have a, a new now app that every five seconds sends a signal to your iPad or to your phone. Every five seconds a little bleep. New now. New now. New now. You get 17,000 of them a day. As if God's saying, pick anyone you like. But if you don't pick 17,000 328 it'll start adding up tomorrow then you'll have 34,000 35,000 in two days new nows ah it's too short and when you're on 10 million and you wonder where God's gone you say I didn't go anywhere I got off the bus on, after the first five seconds where me and you settled it that's why it was a, a When Peter said, well, how many times do we forgive these people? Seven? I'm going to come up with a big figure here. As many as seven? <laughs> Not knowing he himself would need way more than that. Many as seven? And Jesus is like, you guys don't get it, do you? Try 70 times seven. Now that's when Philip would have gone. <laughs> you mean that many, Jesus? Okay. Shall I keep a record? <laughs> that's what the Philips do. But the Andrews realize that it's not about numbers and maths. It's about not getting frozen in your present now because that is not a solution-minded lifestyle. Can somebody come up with an idea that moves us to a new now? I think is the heart of God and that he began in Genesis 1 and he's still continuing now through his church in the world 
But much of the church, as we know, is so frozen in history and in the past that, that a million miles from the now where people in the world are, hence our irrelevance to the now that the world are living in. The world are in one now and the church in another now. Talk about a delay. And the world are talking to the church and the church are replying back and it's like foreign language. But we're, st but we're living in the same time, in the same place, in the same city, but it's like we're on a long-distance phone call to another galaxy with the language the world uses compared to the language the church uses. We have to stay current and stay up-to-date in God's now. Amen. Well, thanks again for listening to today's podcast. I hope you found it beneficial. And uh, I know time is precious commodity for us all, but I would love it if you would take the time to write a review or comment. And above all, maybe subscribe to my podcast channel. Thank you.